morning. You are listening to Cam FM on 97.2 FM, and this is the Actual Rock Show, the only show on air dedicated solely to geological fun, fails, and flights of fancy. I am Hero Bain, they, them, a part three student in the Cambridge Department of Earth Sciences. Each week, I am joined on the show by a different fellow master student. This week, we welcome Peter. Would you like to introduce yourself for the listeners? Of course, yes. Uh, as you say, I'm Peter. Uh, I guess my pronouns are he, him, if you're referring to me in the third person, but also you and I in <laughs> the second and first persons. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm studying earth sciences as well at Selwyn College. Um, cool. And I'd be surprised if anyone does choose to refer to you in the first person, but I sure. Well, I'm referring to myself in the first person, <laughs> so you'll probably hear me use I and me most in this presentation. You're not like the Queen. No, no. I, I don't use one as a pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, geology. Let's start at the very beginning. Um, famously, a very good place to start. So when did you realise that you wanted to go into Earth Sciences? And what was it that made you go, yes, this is what I want to do? Hmm, okay, well, it it probably took longer than you might first think. So I started studying geology way back when I was in year nine. I can't even remember which, which year that was now. We did a, it was an optional GCSE class. Um, and I thought, oh, I might as well take that. Rocks sound quite cool. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. We had a we had a, a very inspiring teacher, Mr. Green, and all the lessons were very relaxed, and it was just so much so much more fun than sort of our, our regular school lessons. Um, so I thought, oh, I might as well keep doing this at A level, and you know the the, the same trends continued, and <laughs> I found that it was it was probably my most enjoyable lesson. But sort of even even at that point, I. I didn't think that I still thought I wanted to do physics or chemistry or something. So that's that's what I applied to universities for. Um but thankfully Cambridge lets you choose a third subject um in your first year. Um so I thought, oh well, why not just keep doing what I'm doing at A level and do geology? <laughs> and it turns out that the earth sciences at Cambridge was equally as enjoyable and relaxed and with excellent field trips as the um, was what we were learning in school. Um, so I thought, okay, I can't keep putting this off now. I, I'm a geologist. I've just got to admit it. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> so it's something of a story, a sort of accidental continuity. <laughs> yeah. I never intended to continue with geology, but I think by the time I got to first year of sciences and we were having a blast on the Isle of Arran, then <laughs> I thought, I, I can't. I can't ignore that this is the the subject for me anymore. <laughs> That's I'm very glad that you finally admitted your calling to rocks <laughs> to <laughs> <Yes>. yourself. <laughs> and so obviously earth science is a very broad subject. We know obviously we love all of earth sciences, but um within it what some things are you specifically particular interests? Well, I'm I'm very bad at deciding what I'm <laughs> <laughs> specifically interested in. Um so I I would say probably a bit of everything. So at the moment, I'm the the area that I'm working on is is called biogeochemistry. So I'm looking at processes that move chemical elements between living things, the oceans, the atmosphere, 
and also rocks, of course. Everything's to do with rocks. Um, <laughs> but uh, just just this summer, I was looking at earthquakes, and I've also been doing a, a course on meteorite magnetism. And so, I don't know. I, I feel like I haven't entirely settled yet, um, but that's sort of what I've been doing um, most recently. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's okay. I honestly couldn't say what it is that I am most interested in, making it quite difficult to decide what I'm going to do next, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah. Fieldwork fun. So a big part of earth sciences is going out into the natural world and studying it, measuring it, drawing it and hitting it with hammers. In short, fieldwork. However, fieldwork is rarely plain sailing, and it is full of ups, downs, and occasional unexpected sidewayses. In this show, we like to take a look at some of these moments, starting with fieldwork fun. Peter, what are some of your funniest, most fun, best fieldwork moments? Ah, so I think the field trip that sticks in my mind the most is actually the very first one we did for A-level geology. So way... Oh, it's like five five years ago now six years i don't even know but it I was think five years five years not six yeah gosh well i i i don't know but i i remember it very clearly because you know it was the first time we actually got to go out and and look at these these mystical things called rocks that we've been hearing about <laughs> in lessons for the, the last few weeks um and we got to find some really cool stuff it's still the only time i found trilobites um in in the wild and we also went to an abandoned mine and we're basically hitting all of the mine debris with hammers to find lots of shinies and I just really enjoyed that um, and we were staying in a place called the Pioneer Activity Centre which is I think it was one of these things which you you take your year six kids to in school for like a motivational you know end of term <laughs> trip and they had sort of a, a bunch of activities um like you know abseiling and indoor caving and all of these things um but obviously we went in sort of the early winter and so no one was doing any of these trips it was just us we had the entire place to ourselves and they they were very kind and they offered us the ability to you know, they they just said, "Oh, would you like to do some inflatable obstacle courses?" You know, after your <laughs> nights of geology, and so obviously we said yes. I mean, year twelve students, what do you, <laughs> what else do you expect? <laughs> so we we got to we got to unwind in the evenings by doing caving in in a wooden box in a room, <laughs> which was an interesting experience. <laughs> also, yeah this inflatable obstacle course, which was definitely designed for people quite a bit smaller than us at the time. Ah. Um, <laughs> and then we yeah. played poker, and it was all great fun. And I think that's probably what what cemented geology as my favourite subject at the time. Um, for the benefit of the listeners, what's a trilobite? Because um, you oh, mentioned trilobites. So a trilobite is, like, i probably describe it as, it looks like, a bit like a giant woodlouse. Um, that lived on the seafloor from about 440 million years ago to about 250 million years ago, if I think if I remember that right. 
as I say, if, if if people don't really know how like geological time is, that's all way before. So that's all before the time when you might think of dinosaurs and stuff. That's all before that. That's sort of five hundred million years ago is kind of like the start. Of yeah. Life. So that the some of the very first animals or the very first arthropods, which are these things that include insects and and woodlice, of course, and everything else. But they no, they're they're weird little things, and we still don't know exactly like what some of them did for a living, but. Was there some of them which have really long eyes? Yeah, there's some, and the, I, I like the ones which have the, the big, a big round thing on the front and their spines going down the sides. Um, just <laughs> they, they look really weird. There'll be some pictures of them up on the Facebook page, <laughs> um, so check those out. Eureka! I found it out. The fundamental cornerstone of all sciences is testing hypotheses by collecting and analysing data. To reflect this, a large part of our course this year is a research project where we each get to do our own original research. What I want to know is all about your project. So, before we jump in, can you give me a one-line description of your project, as if you were explaining it to a child? Um, For listeners, go onto the Facebook page, there is a little diagram that will accompany this description. Right. Okay. Well, there's a lot to there's a lot to encompass in one line, but I I've boiled it down to what can make a fossil shiny and golden without messing up its structure. So yeah, that probably needs some context, but I imagine that's what yes, we're going to do now. <laughs> that is what we're about to do. So um, expanding on this a bit. First of all, what is the question that you are trying or hoping to answer with your research? Okay, so I'm interested in a mineral called pyrite, um, which is iron sulphide, um, more commonly known as fool's gold, because people found it in mines, and it was golden, and they thought it was gold, uh, but they were fools, because it wasn't gold, it was pyrite. (laughs) Um, um, So sometimes, in very specific circumstances, if you have a fossil, like an ammonite shell or an oyster or something, um, then instead of it being preserved in its original shell material, which is a mineral called calcite, um, it's instead preserved as this uh, mineral called pyrite. Um, and so we call these pyrotized fossils. And in most places, the pyrite that makes up a fossil is it's sort of, it's a bit messy in that essentially you've dissolved the entire shell um, and left a shell-shaped hole in the rock, and then that has become filled with pyrite. And so you just get something that's the shape of the shell, um, but it's just made of it's just made of sort of blocky pyrite crystals um, that don't actually fit like follow the the original shell structure. Um, but I'm looking at a place um, down in Dorset uh, called Kimridge Bay. Um, where this doesn't happen, and we so I've got some fossils where you can actually see the pirate has formed along the original layers of the shell, and so obviously this this whole sort of dissolving and um, filling in the space with pirate model doesn't really work here because how is that going to preserve the the original structure of the shell? Um, and so 
we're trying to work out exactly what processes are going on in order to um in order to form pyrite in this really intricate detail um and also it only occurs in some types of fossils and only in only in certain places within the rock formation um so we're we're trying to work out so why why it only happens to certain things and why um it would happen in one bed of mudstone uh for example and not in the one immediately above it um so there's lots of weird things going on um <laughs> but hopefully we can we can use that to work out what's going on with the chemistry um back in the Jurassic period when this stuff was deposited so this is like a really interesting question so what have you been doing to try to answer this question so we're taking sort of a two-pronged approach to this so to try and work out what processes are going on to form uh the structure we're basically looking at the structure really close up so first looking at it under like a, a normal light microscope um and then we're also using a scanning electron microscope to to look at it so at the at the micrometer scale um and we can do cool things with the SEM um so we can do something called energy dispersive x-ray spectroscopy to work out um which elements are where so if i if i take an edxs map um of a certain bit of the fossil um, and say it's got iron and sulfur on one half of it and calcium and oxygen on the other half then I know that's a boundary between pyrite and calcite so obviously the, this is this is sort of frozen that that process of of re- replacement of the original shell um, in time and so those are the places we're particularly interested in um, because Hopefully we we could see what's going on there. Um, and then I haven't done this yet, but we're hoping to do uh, something called electron backscatter diffraction, um, which is the, the even more. It tells us even more about what minerals they are, so it can distinguish um, different mineral structures that have the same chemical composition, um, and it can also tell us like uh, what what orientation each crystal is in um and where all the grain boundaries are and and so we could hopefully use that um the relationships between these minerals to to work out exactly what's going on um so that that's that's what we're doing on the um on the fossil side of things um but to answer this question of what context is is causing um these variations uh we're we're also looking at the 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 chemistry of the bulk rocks um so we've done something called iron speciation um which is basically like looking at how much of say iron oxide there is relative to pyrite um relative to iron carbonate um and so we can use all of those ratios to to try and work out sort of how much oxygen there was when when these things were deposited um and then we're also looking at uh sulfur isotopes um to work out how much microbial activity there was how how much the sulfur was being sort of 
recycled and used by these microbes um, and how plentiful their, their sulfur supply was. Um, so we're trying to look at these, these two, the two elemental components of pyrite and, and work out what's happening to, to each of them. So a couple of things that you mentioned that I thought we could maybe talk a little bit more about. Um, what so you're talking about how you were looking at so you're looking at which different like which different minerals iron goes into, which can tell you something about how much oxygen there was. Um, what why do you want to know how much oxygen there was? What does kind of oxygen have an effect on the rocks and the environment? Well, so oxygen is oxygen is very important, especially when you're looking at fossils, um, because oxygen well it's a very reactive gas and so it's gonna it's gonna want to sort of destroy everything that it that it comes into contact with um and so in order to get this this really good preservation of of fossils you generally need quite low oxygen conditions um and especially for pyrite um because pyrite is also very reactive um and so if you if you expose pyrite to oxygen over the any considerable length of time then it's it's going to turn into iron oxide rust essentially um and so we know that conditions must be relatively low oxygen at least where these pyrite fossils are um and so hopefully my my hope is that we'll have a, a nice trend where the pyrite fossils are forming in beds with the lowest oxygen and then they're not forming in beds with slightly higher oxygen um but we have yet to uh, work that out because we haven't got the total iron numbers back yet. <laughs> but hopefully I get that data soon. So we'll see. Yeah. And here's another thing that I think listeners might not have heard, know, know very much about is that you're talking about sulfur isotopes. Um, could you briefly run through what an isotope is and how that might tell you something about... Um... Yeah. So, so isotopes are basically like at- atoms of the of the same element, so they're all sulfur, but they have slightly different masses because they've got different numbers of neutrons in them. Um, and so if you learn about isotopes in school, you, you're generally taught that they don't really have a, a huge effect on chemistry. Like, it's mainly a, the realm of the physicists. But that's not entirely true, in that the a mass of a compound does slightly affect how... Um, likely it is to form in a reaction or how difficult it is for a reaction to go ahead um and so there's there's something called the kinetic isotope effect where basically um a if you've got a lighter sulfur atom in your sulfate say if you you're converting sulfate to sulfide uh, when you're making pyrite um if you've got a lighter atom in your sulfate then it's going to have a lower barrier to turning that into sulfide um, than it would be if you had a heavier atom. And so if you have plenty of sulfate available, then the bacteria that, that mediate this reaction, the sulfate-reducing bacteria, um, tend to prefer using the lighter sulfate um, to the heavier sulfate. Um, and so if you have... And so that gives you sort of a, a negative uh, a sulfur isotope signal because your self, um, the, the sulfur in your pyrite will be lighter than the sulfate in the seawater. Um, uh-huh, yeah. But if there's very limited sulfate available, 
then the bacteria don't really have a choice. They have to sort of make do with whatever they've got. Um, and yeah. so they use all of the sulfur. Um, and then there's the, the, the sulfur isotopes are, are closer to what you get in, in normal seawater. Cool. Thank you. That was a very good explanation. <laughs> so the last thing I have to ask you about your project is, um, obviously we both know that research isn't always glamorous. It's not like constant eureka moments. Uh, it's more sort of gradual chipping away at a rock face. So practically, what have you been mostly doing day to day working on your project? Yeah, so my project has been sort of half exciting stuff and a half sort of doing the same thing over and over again <laughs> for a long time. So the, the the fossils part of it has, has been quite interesting. Uh, so I first of all, I got to do some field work down in Kimbridge Bay um, with the local expert on fossils, Steve Etches, who has his own museum. Um, would recommend and, you to visit the museum it's yes, a very good museum yes it's a very good museum and he he even took me behind the scenes and we got to look at his his like his his best prioritized fossils and and so on which are much better than anything that i found myself um and he he um sent he gave me one of his um a really cool uh bit of some prioritized barnacles which I didn't even know you could find those as fossils, but <laughs> but you can, and so we're looking at those. Um, and then preparing them for microscopy was also quite fun. We got to uh, do some sawing and polishing, and uh, we even dissolved a bit of one of the shells in acid to get rid of the Ooh. calcite component and um, leave just the pyrite um, to look at under the electron microscope. Um, and then Oh, using the electron microscope itself is is quite cool. I mean, you've got this a million pound machine that you have to look after, but they, it's it's not too much pressure. They they the um, the Iris and Julio, the the technicians, are are very knowledgeable, and and they sort of turned off all of the settings that I could actually change to actually to destroy the machine. Um, <laughs> so so it's basically you you just have like a you're clicking on you've got a computer screen and you can click on things and you can zoom into that particular area uh, so it's quite intuitive um but i'm still not particularly good at getting it nice and focused so i got some of my images back the other day and like half of them are a bit blurry i can't really use them but i still got some some cool things to look at um so that's good um i say the the geochemistry side of things has been a bit more grindy um in mm -hmm. a in a literal sense i've been i spent about five days crushing and grinding rocks into a, <laughs> into a, a fine powder um to do the for them to do their iron extraction um and we so we didn't do the iron the iron chemistry ourselves um because they've got a good setup for that in in leeds and so we we basically had to, a deadline to, to crush all the rocks by and mail the samples up to Leeds. And then to have, we couldn't really do that much more stuff until we got that those samples back. Um, and yeah. they, they arrived in the very last week of term. And so I had to um, frantically sort of weigh out the, the fraction that we needed for the sulfur isotope in the, in the last minute. So I spent the, my last three days of, 
of being in Cambridge of in the weighing room, like very tediously <laughs> moving 300 micrograms, which is basically like one grain of dust <laughs> of samples from, from our, our pots into these little tiny containers to go in the, wow. the mass spectrometer, um, which was not particularly fun, but, you know, I... I I had a an audio book on, and so you could sort of get lost in that. Um, hopefully, it didn't make me get distracted and miss any samples. Um, but you know, it wasn't too bad, and it was it was good to have something you could just do without thinking about too much. So that sounds like quite a good mix. Um, yeah, not too not too sort of repetitive and less boring, which is always good. Geological Groove of the Week. We're almost halfway through the show, so it's time for the Geological Groove of the Week. In this section, we get our guests to share a song or piece of music which reminds them, in some way, of Earth Sciences. Peter, what is your Geological Groove, and why have you chosen it? Okay, so my Geological Groove is not really related to geology um well the song itself isn't explicitly related to geology but whenever i hear it i i can't help but think of of the field trips of old uh because um this was this was a song that um i first heard on this very first geology trip um i was talking about a bit earlier um the so this was this is when we went to Shropshire, and we had uh, so the the school lent our teacher Mr Green a uh, a minibus, and obviously because we were going to be driving it through muddy fields and so on, we we had the very oldest and very clunkiest minibus, um, <laughs> and it came with a grand selection of one CD for us to play um, <laughs> as we were going along. And the CD was called Eddie Stobart Trucking Songs. <laughs> and it basically consisted of sort of, I don't know, 70s to early 80s, like hard rock um, <laughs> type things. And Mr. Green was quite a fan of this music. And so he put it on and he basically turned the volume up to 11. <laughs> And we were just listening to these these, these songs um, through basically the entire journey. And when we finished the CD, we'd listen to it again. And it was great fun. <laughs> we were all singing along to the, the songs. Um, um, so there's so many I could choose um, from this particular CD. Um, but I think one of our favourite songs... Um, and the one that I, I sort of associate most with that trip, uh, was actually a, it was a bit a bit of a newer song. I think um, it is "Fire" by Kasabian, um, and I can just remember like us zooming down a hill um, in much Wenlock, sort of going na 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 <laughs> along to that song, <laughs> and it just made the the long sort of trips between different localities 
uh, that much more bearable. And of course, for the the rest of our A level, um, that was it. Always featured heavily on the playlists we had um, in the minibus. And yeah, I think these these sing-alongable songs are very important um, in fieldwork. In that, especially if it's raining and like it's you don't particularly want to go outside. Um, at least you have some something to look forward to when you come back to the bus, um, and you can sing along to it uh, as as you're on the way to your next locality. Um, so that is that is my choice uh, for the geological groove of the week. Wonderful. Let's listen to it. Welcome back to the Actual Rock Show on Cam FM 97.2 FM. That was Fire by Kasavian. And today we are talking to Peter um, about geology, as we always are. So um, now it's time for... My Favourite Things. scientists are famous for having rock collections and asking each other such questions as what is your favourite rock? So, adhering rigidly to that stereotype, in this section I ask our guests for some of their geological favourites, starting with what is your favourite rock? Well, so this is this is probably the one of the hardest questions you can ask a geologist <laughs> uh, as there's so many different sorts of rock to choose from um, but I think if you asked me this question last year, I definitely wouldn't say um, this because uh, we had spent six weeks of our life mapping um, in France and we basically saw this rock and this rock alone. <laughs> um, uh, so my my favourite rock is limestone. Um, and I just like it because there's so... There's so much, or so many different types of limestone. There's there's a lot of variety. You can have limestones which are entirely crystalline. You can have limestones which are sort of muddy in texture, and of course, a lot of them. In fact, the majority of limestones have have really cool fossils in them. Um, in fact, some of, you have shelly limestone, which is essentially entirely made of fossils, um, and those can look quite pretty if you if you slice them up and you you have a nice cross-section view uh, through all of them um and it's a really nice building stone as well my house is made of limestone um and it just looks you know it's prettier than you know normal brick and concrete and <laughs> all of that stuff and it's really easy to identify as well you just have to drop a bit of acid on it um if it fizzes then it's limestone or marl or sandstone made of calcite or <laughs> but it's probably limestone yeah now a lot of the buildings in cambridge are made of um, limestone though i would not recommend going around with acid trying to dissolve them um i'm not sure they're going to get very happy people but if you're interested in seeing some limestone most of the buildings in cambridge are made of limestone yeah um right so we've talked about a rock that is largely fossils, so kind of related. What is your favourite fossil? Hmm, again, many, many to choose from. I think I'm going to have to go with a, a classic and say my favourite fossil is an ammonite. 
they're just so pretty and so iconic representative geology and obviously you have the the history of the Lyme Regis and Mary Anning collecting them and so on um and I just think especially if you get one um which is not the outside but you can occasionally get an ammonite where it's you've got an internal mold so you can see um something has filled up the inside of an ammonite shell um, and you can see what the inside looks like and they have these really cool intricate patterns called suture lines um and those are those are very pretty and each species of ammonite has a unique suture line and so you can use them to identify uh, what sort of ammonite you have and in turn use that to date how old your rock is um so yeah i think just ammonites just because they're they're very pretty and you can also get pyrotized ammonites or opalized ammonites uh, which are even more pretty yeah and if you want to see an ammonite there'll be some on the facebook post for this episode and there's also one in our banner of red ammonite oh yeah it looks like half a red ammonite it's half a red ammonite this one actually came from um dorset okay so you've talked a lot about the minerals calcite and pyrite um from your project but what is your favorite mineral oh gosh okay so i i I do do a lot of calcite and pyrite in my projects but i hmm, i wouldn't say they're my favorite mineral i think i generally like picking pretty things as you might be able to tell from my previous answer um so i think my favorite mineral is gonna be mica Ooh. So there's a this is a mineral that's 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 composed of the very thin layers, um, and there's there's two main types. You've got um, biotite mica, which is black, um, and then muscovite mica, which is is very shiny. And if you get a big piece of it, then it looks like it almost looks like a mirror. <laughs> that stuff is really cool, especially if you find it in a rock. Um, yeah. You can sometimes you can sometimes get like these. These things called pegmatites, which are, which are the the, the very tail ends of uh, a body of magma, and they have giant uh, mica crystals in them sometimes. And of course, bio- biotite mica, the black one, if you if you look at that under the microscope, it's actually pleochroic, so it changes color depending on which way you're looking at it. Um, and so that that's pretty cool too. I I agree, mica is incredibly beautiful. Um... So, what is your favourite layer of the Earth? <laughs> right, well, my favourite layer of the Earth is the mantle transition zone. Ooh! <laughs> so, this is, so this is a, a, a layer of the Earth that is, it's, goes from about 400 kilometres down to about a thousand kilometers down, at least we think nowadays. Um, and there's a lot of strange things that happen here. So first of all, there's some phase transitions. So this is where um, the mineral that makes up a lot of the mantle, uh, it's called olivine, uh, when it gets to a certain pressure, then it becomes unstable and it changes into a different form. Um, and then it changes into another different form. And so the transition zone is sort of where these these changes are happening. Um, and they cause 
a lot of weird things. So you get these seismic discontinuities where you can get earthquake waves reflecting off them. Um, and we also think there's probably a change in uh, viscosity there um, so that the circulation of the mantle um, hits a strange barrier at this transition zone. The thing I'm possibly most interested about it is what happens to subducted plates as they as they reach the transition zone, <laughs> because though some of some of them go straight through it, some of them sort of pool around it, some of them like go under it and come back up again. Like it's it's very yeah. strange, and what happens there we still don't really know. Um, but it's quite important for you know how elements are distributed in the mantle. And I don't know, it's, it's just surrounded by such mystery that I'm really interested in it. I, I'm, I'm actually totally with you on that. Um, it, I, love the, I love the fact that nobody really knows. I really kind of want to find out. Um, okay, so here's one um, for... I, I don't know how I'd answer this one. Um, what is your favourite geological period? Again, many, many choices. I could probably say something interesting about each geological period, um, apart from like the the Mesoproterozoic, which is literally called the Boring Billion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think my favourite geological period is probably the Ediacaran. There's just so much, so much going on there. So you've, you've... so when is the Ediacaran? Um, it's from about. 700 million years ago to 540 I think um, so this is kind of before like we this is before we typically think of like hard hard bodied life and stuff like at the end of this this is right when you get the Cambrian explosion and you get lots of sudden appearance of hard bodied animals so these are kind of like the weird things before right yes so so that that's one of the biggest mysteries of the Ediacaran is isn't that you so there, there's basically no sign of a macroscopic life um, until this period. You, you can see some fossils like under the microscope, um, but until you get to the, the late Ediacaran, um, there's nothing you can actually see just looking at a rock. And then suddenly you see these strange impressions that look like leaves and fronds and like jellyfish type things. Um, and there's still quite a bit of controversy o over what these are. We think they're probably early animals, but we don't quite know exactly where in the tree of life they fit. And then suddenly, these all disappear again, and then you get this big explosion. It's called the Cambrian explosion, but it's 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 a basically you the amount of life that you see in the fossil record suddenly like, gets a hundred times greater and so all of these animals start appearing and they can't all have just sort of evolved in this tiny time period so they must have come from these Ediacaran um, things but the, the the link there is is still missing um, so it's a it's an interesting period to study about the you know the, the origin of animals um, and there's also massive chemical changes happening. You've, you've just come out of these snowball earth glaciations where the entire earth was frozen over and you have the massive spikes in carbon burial and um, sulfur variations. And there, there's just so much weird things happening in the Ediacaran that we don't quite understand. 
The sense I get is that you like things that are either pretty or mysterious. Yes, I think I think that's probably that's probably a good way of putting it. And so finally, what is your favourite non-Earth planet? This is I know this is a hot a controversial statement for an Earth scientist, but mm, yes, I mean obviously I I pick Earth if I could. Um, I think the my favourite non-Earth planet. Again, just because it's weird and mysterious, I would pick a Uranus. Um, now, this it's a bit unusual amongst the planets in that it has quite an eccentric orbit. So instead of saying a constant distance away from the sun, it, it sort of moves inwards and outwards quite a bit. Um, and also its its axis is sideways. Um so, so it rotates like sideways compared to yeah, the sun. Yeah, so in, in, instead of say the, the Earth, the Earth's axis points out of the plane of the solar system. So we have like a, a normal day and night cycle every time the yeah. planet rotates. Um, Uranus's axis is pointing sort of towards the sun, um, <laughs> and so you know you get basically the the days are the same length as the year. You just sort of go round and round. Um, <laughs> <laughs> facing the sun um and there's also really we don't really know what it's made of but we think that underneath all of that kind of blue ammonia gas there's there might be a an ocean of liquid water um and then some weird ice phases where like the hydrogens can move but the oxygens can't move and and then like it apparently rains diamonds there's just <laughs> Lots of strange things happening on Uranus. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That sounds amazing. But again, we don't know very much. We've only been there once um, with Mm. Voyager 2, I think. Clarify, not a person. (laughs) No people have been to Uranus. No, we've only sent a probe there once. um, And so we... Yeah, we, we we need to find out more about this planet because it's very strange. Yeah. Fieldwork fails. Earlier in the show, we heard about Peter's moments of fieldwork fun, uh, but fieldwork has its oopsie daisies as well as its arrays, and in this section we hear about something which might not have gone so well. Uh, Peter, what is your biggest fieldwork fail? Hmm. So... This is a this is another difficult question because yeah, as you say, every field trip has its ups and downs. I would say some of our biggest failures are where we've just where we've tried to find a particular outcrop or looking a, a particular bit of rock that we want to look at, um, and just completely failed to find it. <laughs> so there's one particular day I can remember when we were uh, in France, um, and. So, me and my mapping partner Laura had a day off. Um, you will, you will hear from Laura <laughs> in, in a later episode. So, <laughs> hopefully, she doesn't have the same story as me. <laughs> <laughs> but this, so this was a, a basically we we we'd almost finished our mapping project at this time, um, and it was a very very wet day. I'm sure you can remember this, hero. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I am in no danger of forgetting this. <laughs> and we we decided we could have the day off because 
we only had like one more day of work to do and we didn't want to work in the rain um but um <laughs> but you on the other hand you you and your mapping partner Kian still had some some more things to look at so you decided to go to the field and we decided to have a day off <laughs> and so we dropped you in the we dropped you off um to to look at your rocks and we we kept going to the to the nearest town on the other side um and we had a um we had a look at the the local geology there and there was apparently some really cool um bird footprints that were a Ooh. short drive away um and so we decided to to try and find these and we we um we thought we knew where they were on the map and so we we kept driving up and the rain was getting heavier and heavier at this point um, and yep. the road was getting narrower and narrower and at a certain a certain point we we must have missed a turning or something because none of the things that were appearing on the map uh, were the same as is what we were looking at on the road um and we we thought we'd found it several times we parked the car we got out and obviously got soaked because it was so wet and we couldn't find this thing as hard as hard as we tried we we must have spent about um, an hour driving up and down this road oh, trying to gosh. find the, the place and in the end we just gave up it was they're just bird footprints oh. they're not that cool <laughs> we decided so we went back um we went back and had a look in a museum, and then we got a call from you saying that we needed to. You had got too wet, and we had to pick you up. We had, we were so wet. That was probably one of my biggest geological fails. I, I was wet. The water come up my sleeves was all the way up my shoulders at this point. Yeah, we were lucky in that. Just like we we got wet from our, our brief trip outside of the car to try and find this place, <laughs> but. But we we at least we had a warm thing to 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 go back to. Um. So yeah. So our 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 day out to Dean got um quite abruptly interrupted. We had to rush back and yeah, save sorry our, about that. our friends. No, no, no. Of course, we don't want you to freeze. <laughs> most important. Yeah. So yeah, I think that was that that day probably counts as quite a big fieldwork fail. But it was still quite fun. Like, despite the failure, we had an interesting experience. A bit different from looking at the same rocks a day on end. Fieldwork flights of fancy. So if you could carry out fieldwork anywhere in the universe, where would you go and why? Um, so I would probably go to Mars. Um, it's just because there's, there's quite a lot of similarities between Mars and the Earth, or at least ancient Mars and the Earth. That There were still yeah, lakes and rivers and, and seas. You can actually see, um, the rocks on the surface of Mars. You can see, like, sedimentary structures. You can see ripple marks and cross bedding which shows like where water's been flowing um and all of these things um and i just i feel like there's a lot of interesting geology to be discovered to see how these different processes um work on 
different planets. Um, and you can also use geology to look for evidence of life. And so if life had once existed on Mars, then doing some fieldwork there would be a, a good way to find out, probably. Um, and I know we have rovers there and so on, but like uh, the Curiosity rover moves so slowly and it's just sort of got a camera. You can't really like get up really close to a rock and look at it with a hand lens and bash it with a hammer um, or lick it. Yes. <laughs> um, so like you, as a, as a sort of a human geologist um, in a day or so, you could probably do sort of what Curiosity has taken a year to do yeah uh, so i i feel like you could could find out so much by by going to mars um so yeah elon musk if you're listening uh sign me up to your <laughs> <laughs> your starship crew well luckily in this this flight's a fancy section actually you get to go there instantaneously so Oh, okay. You don't I have be- to take I better... that long journey. <laughs> I better put on put on a spacesuit first, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe do that. Um, um, any particular bits of Mars you'd like to go have a look at, or just like, would you know where whereabouts you'd like to go first? Oh no. Um, I mean, we don't really know much about the geology on a lot of places. Like, I could say Gale Crater because that's where our, our rovers have been, and we know there's cool geology there um yeah but also maybe i'd want to go to a place where um we haven't seen close up before just to see what there is there see what's there <laughs> i actually also if i'd been asked this i probably would have said bars um it's quite an on vogue place to go and I, I agree with you there's a lot of stuff that we could get that we can't get from rovers yes <laughs> So, as we come to the end of the show, I am going to ask you to do a little bit of a roundup and a reflection on your time in geology. Um, before we do, so thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been brilliant to have you. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Yes, well, thank you. This is it's been a, a good good way to talk about some some old memories, <laughs> and you know, if you're doing a subject all the time, then you don't really get the opportunity to reflect on it so much so yeah it's been a it's been a great experience i'm glad so um before i let you go is this what 11 year old you thought they'd be doing now probably not exactly i i would have thought that i'd be doing some sort of science i expect um but probably physics or chemistry because that's what i was most interested in back then um but then again, like I hadn't done any geology at that time when I was eleven, uh, other than in sort of geography lessons. Maybe we yeah. learnt the basics of plate tectonics, which is probably wrong for <laughs> the way they were t- they taught us. Um, but like in my opinion, geography lessons had too many people and not enough rocks in them. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't have. I don't probably didn't even think of geology as like a thing that you could still study back at that at, at that mm-hmm. time, but I I wouldn't be surprised that I was still doing science though. Yeah, and so what do you think eleven year old Peter would say if he saw you now? Um, he would say that's exciting. I think, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think I'd appreciate that I'm 
I'm still doing sort of science and still a, a, a mixture of a bit of biology and chemistry and physics all together. Um, that's what that's what's quite nice about earth science. Um, yeah. And I feel like if if my older self had had did a good job of explaining um, things about the earth to my younger self, then I probably wouldn't be too confused in that. Like earth, earth sciences is fairly intuitive. Like if you, or at least mm, a lot of it is, not all of it. Um, so you know the the basic concepts, you know, the laws of stratigraphy mm-hmm. and and all those things yeah. that are quite unique to geology. Yeah, it's common sense to a certain degree, and yeah, I I feel like I'd I'd be quite interested in in learning about that stuff uh, when I was cool. eleven. And so, finally, what would you say to anyone out there who isn't sure whether they, they want to um, study earth sciences or find out more about it? What would you say? Hmm. So, I, so go, going back on my previous point, I would say I'd recommend studying earth sciences if, if, you, if you do like a bit of everything, because you, you, it sits at the intersection of all these different sciences, you know, engineering and, and physics and chemistry and biology and like the the earth system is so complicated that you really need to take all of these these things into account um and yeah if you're if you're curious about the planet we live on either want to find out about its history or you know protect us from earthquakes or volcanoes or anything like that then i definitely recommend it but on the other hand maybe i would say avoid it if you if you don't want to be distracted by every single rock that you see when you're out and about <laughs> walking, that's definitely a downside. I can't stop thinking about rocks now. It's terrible. <laughs> so maybe great. You go for a walk in the nature and you're like, there's a rock. <laughs> <laughs> what rock is this? How did this get here? What conditions was this deposited under? <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It's something to keep you interested. <laughs> Thank you. And so that brings us to the end of the Outro Rock Show. Tune in next week for more geological musings. And to play us out, Peter, what do we have? So our final song, this is somewhat more related to geology. I've chosen um, Rocky Mountain High uh, by John Denver, which is fittingly about a particular orogenic belt. Um, (laughs) And it's just a really beautiful song. Um, So... Hope you enjoy it. Episode 1 of The Actual Rock Show starred Peter Methley. The Actual Rock Show was devised, edited, and hosted by Hero Bane. Sound effects were taken from the Zap Splat Sound Effects Library. Visit The Actual Rock Show Facebook page for the images accompanying this episode and more information, or go to the Camifem web player to listen again.